Welcome back to Talk Mental Health with Logan Noon. I apologize for taking a month off since my last post, but I promise you the wait is going to be well worth it. I'm excited for the, today's episode. It's a special episode. This is like two years in the making uh, with my close friend Mahalit. We are going to be talking about how essentially ethnicity and mental health are related. This story is going to be from um, a person who I have a great deal of respect for, who uh, is a person of color who goes to uh, medical school. She's a medical classmate of mine. And, you know, most a majority of my school is not people of color. So it's a really interesting conversation and also how ethnicity relates to mental health. So that break I took away from you guys was because I was on my psychiatry rotation. Uh, so really on my psychiatry rotation, I... I'm excited to kind of have a podcast entirely related to that experience. It was a tremendous experience for me. It reassured me that psychiatry is really the passion for me where I feel I think I'm going to be best fit to be a physician. Um, I really tried to go above and beyond in that on that rotation and try my best, and that's why simply I was not able to produce episodes in a timely fashion during that time period. I hope to be better in these future uh, rotations. Please know I'm trying my best. But, with lo and behold, here we are, the episode with my great friend Mahalit. I think you're going to like it. Thank you for coming on. Thank you. Thank this you. Be... Yeah, this is going to be a cool conversation because as much as I talk about mental health, this is an area of mental health that I certainly don't talk about because I simply don't know how. I don't have experiences in this subject matter. So what we're going to be talking about today is essentially the relationship between um, ethnicity, race, being a person of color, and mental health, and how they interplay, how they affect one another, and how someone like me, a white boy from Connecticut, can just be better well-versed in this subject when I'm a future physician and I'm going to be seeing patients of all races and ethnicities, how I can better relate and help out these patients. So, Mahalid, why don't you at least, before we get started, tell the listeners, like, who you are, where you're even talking to me from. Okay, hey everyone, uh, maybe it's Mahalit again. Um, I am a third-year medical student school a student um at pnwu um i am originally from georgia and moved all the way to washington just for shits and giggles uh and then uh my family's actually from ethiopia so i am a first generation ethiopian okay here there we go um yeah and right now i'm talking from atlanta georgia back home in good old atlanta georgia so, I mean, yeah. I guess before we even dive into this, like, you know, I, I'm, I guess I'm making some assumptions here. You identify yourself as a black woman, um, yeah. but I guess really, how do you define yourself? Is it like, I'm a black woman, I'm an African-American woman, like, how is this race, ethnicity, like, I still to this day, I guess, don't really understand the, the differences. Okay. Um, I am a black woman, that's what I identify as, um... My ethnicity, I am Ethiopian-American, so that's my African-American and more of a specific subset, I guess. Um, and a lot of people will identify with, if they do know their background, they would, they would say, I am a Nigerian-American or Ghanaian-American or 
etc. Okay. Um, but I am Ethiopian American, yeah. Okay. And, you know, I guess let's just yeah. kind of talk then about, um, you know, being a person of color. But, you know, we're, growing up in Georgia, I mean, I guess certain parts of Georgia are probably much more uh, communities of color than others. So, like, what was your community like growing up? Right. So I actually went to a Catholic high school. So I was at a predominantly white institution there. Um, I was one of seven black students uh, of a class of 52 Um, it was shocking because I, I came from an elementary school. I I moved there to that Catholic high school, um, from eighth grade on. Um, so I came from an elementary and middle school of a predominantly black school. Um, and that was in my like more local community. So it was a huge culture shock from moving from a predominantly black school to a predominantly white school. Um, and it did make me like change my um my mannerisms change my my habits um and i just like mimicked what everyone else did so i can fit in and that was just Mm. me as a young young student and how Um, old were you i guess then at that transition oh god was it high school no it was eighth grade when i moved oh okay okay so even so though you know (laughs) i just finished my peds rotation and so you know as if being a 12 year old 13 year old girl isn't awkward enough you're making this strange transition (laughs) from a community where i mean i'm assuming you probably felt a little bit more comfortable and at least because your peers i mean quite simply yeah looked like you yeah and and then you get put in this environment where it's completely opposite so i guess yeah right from the very get-go like what was your really first challenge that you noticed like how your skin color impacted your mental health? Well, I just knew I always felt different and I always knew that eyes were always on me. So it really raised my anxiety and it it made me think that I had so much pressure to perform well, which really just carried out throughout my, my time even now sometimes um, where I just feel like I... I know that all eyes are on me, so I have to perform really well or else they're going to think that every other black person that comes in after me is going to perform just as terrible if I did perform terrible or just as well. You know, I, I want them to have the the positive outlook on people that look like me so that it's not harder for them too. Yeah, so, so anxiety was definitely a huge thing um, when it, when I was growing up too. So Even prior to that school? Yeah. Um, only because I felt, I also felt like I didn't, I was, I was called and known as like the, uh, the Oreo because I still talked really, really proper or white, as you would say, I'm putting quotations around mm-hmm. that. Um, and so I, I fit in, my best friend was white. My like person that I like talked to all the time was white. I did have a couple black friends, but like I was also always known or always seen as the, the white black girl. Okay. in my schools prior to um, to my Catholic high school experience. And then when I got to um, high school, I was like, wow, it's completely different. Now I'm, I am the black girl or I'm one of the black girls and oh. we're just known and coupled together. Does that make sense? That's very interesting because it's like yeah, you so always it's... sort of felt like you were this 
you didn't exactly Other. fit, you know. So when you were yeah. in maybe a black community setting, everyone, oh, that's uh, I don't know, what it like. However, you described it, the Oreo or whatever. Yeah, it was over an Oreo. Yeah, and then you get in a community where it's primarily uh, you know, Caucasian people, and it's oh nope, she's the black girl, you know. And right. that must have been. I can imagine that being just incredibly, incredibly challenging. So I guess yeah. you know, even at a young age, like how did you cope, and what did you did you talk to anybody or did you kind of, was this all pent up frustration? No. Um, I knew that, well, my image of like mental health and stuff, you know, in the black community, it's not seen as something that is heard of. Uh, it's not seen as something that is positive. You're either crazy or you're not type thing or you're healthy or you're not. Um, so you don't really talk about mental health. Even in my family now, if I were to ever say like, Oh, I'm depressed or, Oh, I have anxiety. They'd be like, just pray about it and you'll be fine. And that's very, very similar to a lot of other people that um, would bring up any type of mental health issue with their parents or any other family member, because it's not seen as something that takes prevalence like a real, like health, uh, medical health condition type thing. Hmm. Um, I personally didn't talk to anybody and it just festered. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, were you having like quote unquote panic attacks or was it kind of this constant state of anxiety or like social isolation? Like what, I guess, can you paint a picture for what your life was like around, let's say 13 years old, like that awkward transition? Yeah. I think really what happened was it just took a huge chunk out of my self-confidence. I knew that my anxiety was like so high that it was like this like dark glooming cloud over me, but then I knew that I couldn't show my real self ever because that wouldn't fit into the social construct at that time. So whether that was in elementary school or that was in high school where I had these two different, very different environments, I would always feel like I can't show my full self or else I won't be accepted. Okay. Yeah. And that's a terrible, terrible way to live. And, and so, I mean, I guess, you were you were having anxiety and like how did this then affect you socially like were you capable of making friends at that point yes um i was capable of making friends were they true friendships no i don't talk to anybody from high school at all maybe one person two people um that's pretty much it everyone else i don't really talk to at all um but i definitely looking back at it now see that I was very outgoing for the sake of like it was like a survival tactic like I had to I had to put myself out there in order for me to survive in that environment and like still be seen and still be recognized as a person like I didn't want to feel invisible and that's I think that's how I felt when I was younger Um, And so I wanted to, since I have this brand new slate at this Catholic school, like, let me make this a completely different experience for me. Um, So I was like overly like, hey, let's do this. Let's do this. Let me go to every sporting event. Let me be in every sport and every club and be presidents of this, this and that. And it's funny how I say that it's, it was a huge shot at my confidence, but, and I did all these things so scared in all of those things because I knew that I had to be on at all times and that was petrified for me 
Yeah. And well, it really kind of seems like a lot of this stemmed, yeah. you know, at least in the Catholic school, high school uh, experience, like you mentioned, you felt you had pressure on you. And, you know, it, it was a Catholic school, so I imagine it was uh, a, it was a private school, right? And like a, it was yeah. a good school, right? And right. so all high school students, I guess, have pressure on them. You know, SATs are starting, ACTs, whatever it may be. But you felt, and you've disclosed to me, that you felt additional pressure. So why do you think you felt additional pressure on yourself in comparison to one of your white classmates? Well, like I said, I wanted to make sure that no one else had this bad perception of black students in general. I wanted to prove my position or my spot at that school. Um, I was a scholarship kid, so and people could tell, I guess. Um, I didn't have designer clothing. I didn't have, like, my family wasn't known within the community, so they knew I wasn't from the area, which means I wasn't a rich person. And so in that case, I was like, well, just because I'm a scholarship kid doesn't mean I'm not as smart and can't get into the same colleges as all these other people that are here. So I wanted to make sure that I could prove my position. And I mean, obviously that's huge ego. I am, oh yeah, that was all my ego right there. But it was also like this pitting fear of if I didn't perform well, I know that every other black girl that comes in behind me, I am, it's going to look down or it's going to look bad for them. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, I mean, it, it just makes me think about my high school experience because, you know, I grew up in, um, it, I mean, I went to a public school, but quite frankly, it seemed like probably the same demographic of what you experienced at that Christian school. You know, it yeah. was, I don't even think we had seven black kids, to be honest. It was really probably 95% Caucasian. And I still viewed high school as awkward and challenging, and I had periods of anxiety and I didn't like it and I still had that pent-up emotion so I guess though what I'm trying to get at is how would you sort of try to educate someone like me who is like I said very naive in this this area like okay so being a person of color like a black person you know maybe even outside of just we've continued to talk about school like how does that impact your mental health and I guess kind of like a good suggestion would be um, easiest thing that comes to mind it's like when you get pulled over by the police or something like that you know or when you find yourself I don't know in a mall or any other kind of social situations like what are things that you've experienced that I just probably don't even think about Um, I would say that I become super aware of everyone around me um, again, uh, I, I just, I know that I always feel that all eyes are on me and that's just think of having stage fright all the time. And that's, that's really how it feels. Like you are in front of 300 people doing a speech. If you're public speaking, if that's the thing that you fear most, like think of all eyes on you. And that's how I feel in any situation where I feel like I'm, or like I, where I am the minority. Um, as far as <laughs> seeing the police or being pulled over, I get petrified. I have panic attacks. Um, I am sweating. I am damn near in, te- in tears. Um, it's just, 
especially how the news is today, like you never know how the interaction can go and you never know what they can just pull or say. And so every time I, I try my hardest not to get pulled over in general um, because I literally, I don't know how to recoup either. So I'm literally shaking for the rest of my journey to wherever I'm going until I sit down again, because it is such a petrifying experience um, talking to a cop, dealing with a cop. It's just very intimidating. And um, that's really like, even talking about cops and like, I remember I got pulled over in Yakima one time and I freaked out. Like I was so scared. I had one of my classmates holding my hand the entire time because I was freaking out. Mm. Um, And it was dark. It was at night. And I accidentally like ran a yellow, which what? Yeah. Um, And it was just so petrifying. And I, I remember that entire night. I couldn't stop thinking about it because it could have gone a completely different way if I didn't have somebody else in in the car or I don't know. Um, but it's just like this daunting fear. I, like, again, I, I want to keep bringing up this like this cloud of anxiety that's always just looming because any situation in any like setting can flip so quickly just because of the color of my skin. And it's crazy because it's something that I can't change. So it's like, I don't know how to respond half the time. Um, And then that also revs up my anxiety because I'm like, I don't even know what to say. And I know if I come off angry, it's going to come off as my angry black woman and I'm going to become aggressive and combative. And then that's going to make my case worse. Does that make sense? Yeah. And yeah. so then I guess what my question is, is just kind of like, what's what's the evolution of this feeling been? Because, you know, we've talked about high school and then you touched on this experience in Yakima, which for the listeners is where me and Mahalid um, spent our first two years of medical school. And so, you know, obviously years have gone by and I'm sure <laughs> you've developed some coping mechanisms that are healthy, but obviously there's still some things that um, are challenging in your life. So I guess let's yeah. quickly highlight kind of, you know, you... It seems like you went to kind of varying environments as you kind of entered your 20s, right? You, so you went to Georgia University, which yep. um, is massive It's also university. a PWI. What was anyway. that? It's also a PWI, predominantly white institution. Georgia is? Yes. Oh, I... It is 7% black or African-American, um, and 6% of that are athletes. 1% are there for academics. Yeah. Wow. And then that just kind of even highlights, you know, just like my own biases, because I don't know much about Georgia. I've never actually even been to Georgia. Maybe I flew into the airport once, Um, but I I watch sports. Right. And so I see the Georgia football team, which is. Yeah. Primarily, <laughs> <All> black. <laughs> yeah, individuals are black. Yeah. So I just made the assumption that oh, I bet the the school is a majority black. Like they kind of just probably look like their football team. Um. So mm-hmm. I, I mean, geez, I feel like an, a moron now talking to you. I just kind of made that own assumption just by watching ESPN highlights, kind of thing. Yeah. So it seems like yeah, you've no, always was... sort of been in this kind of environment where you 
you know, I don't know, and I'm kind of talking out of my ass, of course, but, like, what percentage of America does identify as black? Like, I don't know. What is it, 13%, 15%? I don't really know. But either way, whatever that number is, the social situations you primarily found yourself in, and we're talking probably mostly school institutions, high school, undergraduate school, and then, of course, medical school, you were the odd person out. You were that... Yeah the representation of those schools was significantly lower than the actual population of African-American people in society. So I guess, how have you learned to handle these sort of situations and how would you advise people in similar situations to you that are maybe younger, like, Hey, this is what I learned. These are things that I learned to cope by. And then this is how I kind of educate my uh, dumbass white friend, Logan noon from Connecticut kind of thing so sorry that was like a three minute long question but hopefully you can hit all 30 things i just highlighted okay um so the way mostly i i coped with um any type of like if i had a racist encounter or um anything i've heard was going on in school or whether it was in the community or anything like that i i really tune into my community where um so it i'll focus really on uh, my experience at University of Georgia, we had a community called Bugga, which is Black UGA. And so it was all of these students that were um, Black, just we all always partied together. We During the day, we had this thing called Tate Time, where in the middle of the day, we go to the student center and just talk and like just really be able to be with each other and feel like we belong in a spot or in a place at the school um and so if I ever felt any kind of anxiety or any type of like ill feelings towards the other students in my school um I could confide in them and like just talk it out and um really have that conversation one-on-one and um get it off my chest and that was my biggest way of getting getting that anxiety out um, and it really built that sense of community with within Bugga. Um, and I will am forever grateful to every single person in that community. And uh, we're all still friends and still continue to, to reach out today. Um, when it came to high school, there wasn't many, many of us. There was no Bugga. Um, and we were, yeah, I, there was no Bugga at all, definitely. And it was, it was, we were all trying to do the same thing. Thing. We're trying to, for lack of a better word, assimilate to the environment that we had because we all had that same fear of, well, we have to prove one, we have to prove our spot here, and two, we've got to just survive. Like, so we need to act right, and everything will smooth sail until graduation, and we will be out of here forever. Um, so it wasn't until after college when I made the connect the correct connections and like made and found my community um that I really like felt comfortable being the only black girl in a class or the only black girl in a, in a room or anything like that uh, because you do become hyper aware regardless of what age you are what setting you are um but just calming that anxiety down knowing that you have like a support system it doesn't relinquish it completely, but definitely helps you ease your way into that whole situation. 
So, though, that makes me kind of challenge you in the fact that, okay, yeah, it's easy to have that kind of community when you find yourself at Georgia, which, like you said, is only, I don't know, what, 6% or whatever yeah, uh, people roughly. of color, <laughs> but it's a massive institution. So that's still, you know, I don't know how many people were in Bugga, but what, 100 at least? It was, it was a lot. It was a lot yeah. of us. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, let's now transition into Pacific Northwest University or in just kind of, we can even talk medical school in general. You know, no medical school... I think we have a class of 140 students, and I think most classes are in that general vicinity, maybe a little bit bigger, but some even a little bit smaller. So, you know, I don't, there's probably, I think I'm a member of some equivalent of uh, Bugga on campus, just because I do want to <laughs> show my support in any way that I can, but it's much, much, much smaller, right? Yeah. So how do you yeah. then find that sense of community when it's no longer this big pool it's it's a much much smaller yeah so um just by the way the community that logan's talking about for all of our listeners um mm -hmm. is snma which is the student medical student national medical association there you go um which is the black student um equivalent of the ama um and Unfortunately, since there's only three of us in our current class, um, I didn't really feel included in the class. I, I peers do not get angry at me. Uh, um, did not feel any type of inclusion. Um, I didn't really like the class first year. Um, it was it was hard for me to connect with anyone. So every time I came home, I came home. Like I did go to parties, of course, and like gatherings or whatever. Um, but that was my, again, my way of trying to be overtly outgoing in order for people to still recognize that, hey, I, I exist. Like, there's there's still three black girls in our class. Like, please remember that <laughs> there's diversity and you should uh, we should be included in everything and even social and uh, social encounters and stuff like that. So we can still build that that inclusivity and that diversity, you know, sense within the student body as a social, you know, crew, you know? Yeah. Um, but first year I did have a group of friends who we were really cool, very, got very close, especially because of our past, um, master's program and stuff. But I didn't feel that inclusion that I knew I was missing that I had in, uh, undergrad. And so a lot of the times I, found myself just going straight home or straight to our local coffee shop and just studying by myself and really isolating myself um, only because I just didn't feel comfortable. And I didn't make the effort to get to know the other two um, black girls in our class. And that was my mistake. I, I would have loved to because we are very close now. Um, it didn't take, it took until second year for us to really like make that connection and, um, really get to know each other but first year was just hell so you know um but yeah. now that i've have them in my corner and i know that if i if anything were to happen or if any sideways comments were to be said within lecture or within an email like we all recognize it and we're all like side-eyeing or having a conversation is everyone good do we need to talk about this um it's crazy because we had that one incident in class and we all texted each other at the exact same time when that incident occurred. And it was, 
it was great because I, I knew that I wasn't feeling alone when I'm going to guess we're going to talk about this. It's whatever subject. you want to talk about, because what I kind of yeah. want you to talk about is, you know, one thing I talk a lot about in this show is I kind of like I, I like to kind of say, like, stigma exists. It's not as bad as everyone kind of thinks necessarily, but it does exist. And I think yeah. sometimes that statement is true about racism, and sometimes it's obviously definitely not true. Um, you know, yeah. Donald Trump, let's just leave it at that. But, and so I guess what I kind of want to hear from you, and you kind of talk about whatever kind of instance you want to, or even multiple, but like, you know, we all know racism ex- exists, but when you just kind of say that blanket statement, like racism exists, like it seems so nebulous and just like, what's the word I'm looking for here? Like nonspecific. It's like, oh, like, okay. And, it, yeah. you know, for someone like me, like I have not experienced racism. I experienced some discrimination from my mental illness, but that's really the extent of, of my discrimination that I've experienced. Right. So... Can you tell us about a time that you felt significantly discriminated against, that maybe you faced racism head on, maybe it was in a social situation, maybe it was even in a professional situation um, like medical school or something similar? Okay. Um, well, I'll, I'll talk about that incident first. Um, so in lecture, it was mentioned, um, there was we were talking in, in class about a specific case, um, and the vignette read, a 32-year-old African-American female, which, ding, ding, I think of myself at 32 years old, um, that is diagnosed, that has been has been diagnosed with sickle cell anemia, comes into the emergency room uh, complaining of pain. Now, the caveat is, <laughs> our professor then continues, without this being in the actual vignette, saying that the patient is on welfare, and is possibly drug-seeking. Now, with the vignette just blanketly saying, this is an African-American female um, that is already diagnosed with sickle cell anemia, knowing good and well, during a sickle cell anemia crisis, um, those are painful. Yeah. <laughs> it just, it, it really, like, dug at my heart, because I knew, and I've had this personal experience with my own doctor, where I tell them I have pain and nothing is being done. I'm not drug seeking. Um, The patient also probably that we were talking about in the vignette probably wasn't drug seeking. And yet we're making the assumption and telling all of these future physicians to make the same assumption that, oh, it's an African-American female on welfare. They're probably drug seeking. Where we all know if it was anyone else, <laughs> that sickle cell anemia, crisis within sickle cell anemia is very painful and they probably do need pain meds. Yeah. Um, so that really, it really took a huge chunk of faith out of my, out of me uh, within the, for, for the school within me. So um, then we all texted each other and we're like, what did y'all feel some type of way about this comment? Because I feel a little hurt in this, in my corner where I am right now in lecture. Um, and so we all like took a breath and like talked to each other and like calmed each other down. But um, I, I, I couldn't let it go. So I definitely talked to the professor at the time and 
was like, honestly, I, I, as someone that identifies as an African-American female, the comments that were said about making the assumption that this patient is probably on welfare and is probably drug seeking was very, very, um, disheartening. Um, and I respect you as a professor and I respect you as, uh, as a physician and a person in general. Uh, but I know that I wouldn't be able to sleep tonight if I did not bring this up to you. And I, I feel personally disrespected with those comments that were, that were said. And so he took it upon himself, which he asked me and I was perfectly fine with, um, bringing it up in, in class, um, to have the conversation with the rest of the lecture um, hall. And many of my peers definitely, you know, shrugged it along and said, uh, and I quote, <laughs> um, can we talk, talk about this at a different time in a different lecture? Um, and quote, uh, I don't see the problem in this when he does this to every vignette. Um, and that's, that's when I became emotional when I heard my other peers talking about this. Um, because mostly it just made me very upset that we're not looking at this person as a human and we're making, we're trying to just like dust off the, like, oh, it's fine. Like whatever. It's just another vignette. Like he's just talking about it. Whereas if we talked about any other patient, it wouldn't have made, these assumptions would not have been made and these comments would not have been made. So it was just very disheartening for me to hear it from my other peers. Um, but yeah. Well, I really do though, um, commend you for speaking out. I remember I wasn't actually present when that, uh, yeah. happened. It was actually during my wedding. Uh, but I remember listening to that, uh, lecture on my drive back home and being, um, you know, proud that you had the courage to say something because at the end of the day, it would have been much easier to just sit there and bite your tongue and internalize those sensations. But by speaking out, it at least opens the door for conversation. And, you know, that professor who did make that comment at the end of the day, he is still a beloved professor. And I didn't think he, yeah. Uh, had any malicious intent by it, but, you know, it just was one of the biases maybe that he had. And I think by at least having these conversations, we're able to identify our biases. And yeah. um, I remember that just kind of ignited this whole, at least thought-provoking process for me. It's like, okay, well, what biases do I have kind of thing? And it's yeah. like, what what things do I immediately think about when I do see a vignette like okay patient comes in uh headache um sensitive to light are they just do they have a migraine or do they just want the drugs kind of thing and like what what conclusions do we jump to so quickly when we hear those things in a potential vignette or in the future when we potentially see someone in the emergency room or clinic whatever but even more basic than that when a patient walks into our office when there are certain color skin what things are popping into our mind and i think the better that we can identify what based off of our cultural experiences like how how what conclusions do we jump to that are really inappropriate so you know i know it wasn't easy for you to speak out about that but i really am very proud of you um you. to do that um and uh, you know thank you for speaking about your experiences in medical school and and kind of an honest um, rendition of of what it was like, um, you know, because medical school is so hard for everyone, 
but you know, we, we talk and everything, but we don't have time to socialize and we don't really have time to really sit down for a long period conversation. Like I guess me and you are doing now and saying, how, how is this going for you? You know, we're all freaking out. Like I'm going to fail. I'm going to fail. I'm going to fail. And so, you know, I didn't really realize, and you know, we were friendly, of course, um, during first year and became better friends during second year. But like, I, I didn't know those kind of things were what other people were experiencing. You know, I just kind of made the assumptions I see, uh, oh, this person sits by this person. They must be friends with that person. And they, then they're Mm -hmm. very good friends, you know? Oh, so they're probably doing fine. You know, I'm in my own head fucking freaking out the whole time. So another thing though, I want to talk about, there's this kind of notion and outside of just, um, our own school, but really all medical school and maybe even all graduate school, if we're even talking about lawyers or accountants or I guess even jobs in like investment banking, really whatever, any kind of respected position. So, you know, I remember listening to some podcasts when I was a pre-med student, I would read like every article online kind of thing. And I didn't have this happen to me, but other people happen this to where it's like, Logan, you should not apply to medical school because you are a white male. You know, that's medical schools are not looking for white men necessarily anymore. You have to be a, such a superb applicant as comparison maybe to be, just because maybe, like we hear these things like quotas all the time, right? Kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think that's really a bullshit notion. And I think it's really unfair um, to everyone um, because yeah. I think a good doctor is a good doctor. It doesn't matter the, their appearance or whatever. Right. You know, a caring person is it can is a quality of a good doctor. But right. you know, did you feel that kind of notion in medical school? And did you feel that kind of same pressure, quote unquote, additional pressure on yourself that you identified as uh, when you were a high school student in that Christian school? Well. When applying to medical school, I definitely knew that if I ever did get in, I knew I would, especially if it was a predominantly white school or class, um, that I would always have the perception of the school needed diversity and this is why you're here. Um, And so that was always in the back burner, the back of my mind, always making sure that You know, I I acted correctly during the interview. I acted very, very proper, made sure that I had my best foot or stuck my best foot forward. Um, Very polite, overly overly polite. Um, And I wish I actually was more, you know, outgoing and like more assertive and more myself really um, in those because I knew that it was my past anxiety and my past experiences of being that only and always needing to prove my, my position here and um, being the best because I have to be and being the best because I know that if they ever were to accept another black person um, at the school, then my performance here is going to make that much of a difference for those, the rest of the, the, the future students. Um, and so I know that definitely carried with me and I knew that if, if I just acted right, I would be able to get in and I got in and then that fear definitely carried along with me throughout first year and then second year kind of got a little more lax. Um, but yeah, definitely 
was it was a huge struggle and like within myself an an internal struggle really um just to make sure that I was always on my p's and q's and making sure that everyone knew that like I got it I'm I'm here I'm here to stay yeah yeah like I earned my seat it's not because of my skin right I'm a smart exactly yeah I mean there was a lot of things you know you helped make those uh uh study guides that I used extensively uh, throughout the first yeah. two years of medical school. And I probably would have flunked out if it wasn't for you and some of the contributions <laughs> of some of your friends. So thank you for that. Um, so, you know, we're coming up on 40 minutes. So where I kind of want to take this conversation now is I like to sort of end um, with some means of advice, in a sense. Okay. So I guess let's first talk to, I guess, maybe the majority listener. And what I, I guess... No, I shouldn't. Okay, I phrased that wrong. You know, most of our country, I guess I don't even really know the census now, but, you know, the majority of most <laughs> things is are white people, right? Or at least, I guess right. we could say medical school. You know, so I'm yeah. sure a lot of people listening uh, really appreciate your story and they want to help, but they don't know how. So how can students like me, like students who fit more and more in, I guess, this racial majority of kind of medical school. And I know it's changing, but it, it is fact of what it is now. But how can we reach out and connect with students of color who might feel isolated? How can we approach these uh, these kind of topics being sensitive but also being helpful? You know, I'm, I'm sure it's not as simple as like, uh, how's it going? And how is your blackness affecting how, your academic <laughs> performance? Like, you know, like it... Yeah. It just feels so awkward, and I don't. I would love for you to at least take some means of a stab to try to educate people in similar shoes that I was in. Yeah. Okay. So first off, um, not making the assumption that every black person is the quote-unquote uh, token black person. So mm-hmm. don't think that they know everyone else that is black's experience. Mm-hmm. Don't think that they are talking for the entire realm or the entire race of being uh, of black people um it is you are only getting their experience just like this podcast is only getting my experience as being black in medical school um that is a huge huge thing because people will sometimes come up randomly and just ask you questions like so um your hair how do you do this like what do you think of Charleston, it, South Carolina? You know, right. Like, and like, like, how do you feel growing up in the South? And how's racism and going on in the South? And da, 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 da. And they always ask me these, like, very, very broad questions. And I'm like, I don't know. I live in Washington right now. I'm in medical school. Like, I'm worrying about school right now. Don't ask me about this. Um, but, yeah, so just making sure that. Also, if you think that something sounds bad or awkward. More like if you're going to start a sentence with, this is going to sound racist, but... you Right, right. (laughs) Don't ever ask that. Um, If you have that thought, just just don't, yeah. Right, right. And and make sure that the person that you're asking these questions to is someone that you feel comfortable with, as well as they feel comfortable with you. So, just because you talk to Sally or Allie Mae once ever in your life, and then you think that you can just ask them a question about something that's very personal, which is the realm of racism and being black. Um, 
don't think that you have this right to ask. Um, definitely make build the relationship. Build the relationship other than just, hey, this is my black friend. I need yeah. you to be be in their be in their uh, life. Like ask them about their family. You know, like just like me and you are, Logan. Like we are really good friends, which is why I'm so comfortable talking to you about this. Um, you are more than welcome, and I I will be more than happy to share my experiences and share what's been going on with with me in my life with you. Um, so if you don't feel comfortable talk, telling that person that you're about to ask this very intrusive question, your deepest, deepest, darkest secret, don't ask them anything about being black or racist, racism or whatever. Okay. Be comfortable with that person before you before you speak. Well, it's, um, it's, I'd also just... like... Go ahead. Um, I'd also like to say, if you hear a comment from someone else that you feel like or that you see made a person of color uncomfortable, try to flip it and make sure that if you were in their position and they said the same thing but in opposite, wherever it refers to you, how would you feel? Um, try to be an advocate for them. Okay. And in that case, um, I'll, I'll bring up a very simple uh, comment or scenario. Um, when we were doing the scrub scrubbing uh, uh, activity, and this is when we put on a scrub cap and um, you know the mask and the gloves and all that good so stuff. For we're the learning the scrubbing technique. Listeners, this is like what you do before you enter a surgeon operating room. That's what we mean by scrubbing. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. No problem. Um, one of my peers that was wearing their hair in braids asked, uh, not asked, but the instructor that was uh, doing the uh, situation or the, the scrubbing technique uh, lecture or clinic, I guess, um, said, I don't know what you're going to do with that. And then continued on with the lecture. Speaking about how she's going to put her hair in the scrub cap, like saying that just just completely yeah like basically like you should you you can't be a surgeon with that hair yeah pretty much like saying like you know you you handle that because i don't know what to even do or talk about or ask about with you so i'm just not going to deal with you right now and i'm just going to continue with my lesson because everyone else is a lot easier to deal with yeah that is a very trauma not traumatizing but but disheartening situation and you're just like i don't even know what to say i don't even know what to do yeah so um in that situation would have been great have an advocate and be like hey that, that wasn't nice like you could have you could have said that a different way or use a different tone or you know offered a larger scrub cap to fit all of her braids in or something you know just to be more yeah. helpful for the or patient or for the for as the simple as the like we don't time. have that scrub cap today in the future though you would have to wear this sort of scrub cap or this is how would you would accommodate uh that large hair or whatever you know like exactly like finding like, solutions rather great, than this longer hair yeah rather than f making that person feel excluded. So I guess last exactly. question here, I kind of want to ask, you know, now flipping your advice to, um, you know, someone is listening to this podcast who is a person of color, who maybe are, is really identifying with your story and, you know, hearing so many things that they have also experienced. So what advice would you want to give that person who maybe is in a high school where they feel 
very different than their peers. Maybe they're in medical school where they, they don't look like their peers. What would you tell that person? I would tell them, do you, be you, always stick to who you are, um, and have a great support system. Whether that's inside of the school or within the cl your classmates or not, make sure that you have that support system. Find a mentor that's in medicine um, if you don't have one in your faculty, um, hence, hence, um, PNW. Um, and if you can find advocates within your peers, keep them around you and keep them in your grasp because these are the people that are going to help you get through because you still have to make those connections within medical school and you have to make the friends and you have to be social, but you don't have to give your everything to them just to appease them because at the end of the day you have to be selfish when it comes to medical school and that's talking to anybody like anybody selfish, no matter if you're purple in, or brown anything yeah yeah be you have to be selfish when it comes to medical school and and if that means that you do have to isolate yourself and only talk to people from back home or only talk to people that um, talk to your mentor or your your friends back home or something like that to get it off your chest and to really see and feel at home. Do that because the negative energy and the negative negativity of of um, that sometimes can lead from being uh, the only black girl or only black guy in the class is not good for your mental health at all. Yeah, um, and will only contribute to the anxiety that we all already have. So yeah, well, yeah. Mahalid. I mean, this was a really enlightening conversation. I think this was a very cool episode. Um, one type of episode that I have never really done before, to be honest. Um, you know, I do, of course, have friends of color, but you know, I don't get to have these sort of conversations as frequently as I like. Um, you know, my wife is uh, someone of color, and so she's educated me uh, much more than I ever really knew about living as someone with a different colored skin. But it's almost one of those things, like, I think as you start to learn about a subject, um, you start to realize, the more you understand about a subject, I guess when you realize how much you don't know and don't understand, that's when you really kind of have a grasp of experience. So I, I identify that I still have so much to learn and ways that I can improve my own biases and my own treatment of individuals of color because it's going to make me a better physician. So I really enjoyed this conversation today. I hope we do another conversation because I think there's a whole other realm of topics that we can talk about, whether that's racial topics or whatever, that um, I just think from, you know, your perspective would just be a very valuable opinion for people to hear. Great. Thank you for having me. Any last words of advice for our, uh, you know, three people that tune in weekly? I'm just kidding. It's more than three. Um. <laughs> it's like five. Um, be an advocate. Everybody's a human. So just be nice, bro. Just be nice. Be a nice human. Treat everyone the same. And it's, it, I don't know why, but it's usually seen as harder than it is to do than it is to say, but it's so just really simple. just tune. It's so simple. Yeah. <laughs> you can do it. It's very, very easy to do. So just be nice to everyone and everything will be fine.
Well, and it's like, you know, although we have, uh, you know, the person in the highest office of the land who doesn't really seem to look at people uh, as equally, there are people in our society and there are people all over America, even in deep red states, that can treat people equally and don't have these kind of racist biases. And, you know, on the other side of the coin, there's people that don't consider themselves at all racist um, I don't consider myself at all racist, but I know I do have inherent biases that maybe I don't even fully understand. So the more you can think about and explore and have conversations with people that don't look like you, um, of course, like you talk about, don't ask like the first time you meet them kind of thing. Like you really have to <laughs> yeah. make an effort to get to know the person rather than the skin tone kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this was a great convo. Um, I wish you the best fun in Hotlanta for your, there for a wedding, Hot right? Atlanta. Sister's wedding. Yeah, I am. Yep. I'm here for two weeks. It's going to be the best two weeks ever. <laughs> Excellent. Um, one last thing. I hope you, uh, loved your psychiatry rotation and I think you should become a psychiatrist yeah. because you'd be awesome. Wow. <laughs> no. You'll forever tell me this, huh? Uh, always. Yeah, we don't need more surgeons and OBGYNs. <laughs> we need more psychiatrists. Well, we need more everything, but mostly psychiatrists, and you would kill it. This is true. This is true. All um, right. Well, I am going to. My new puppy husky is, I think, probably tearing down my living room as we speak. I probably don't even have a television anymore. Definitely not the cord to the TV anymore um, because of this damn yeah. dog. But I love that thing, it's my best friend. Thanks again for tuning in for this episode. If you enjoyed this episode, I would greatly appreciate uh, rating or telling your friends or whatever. Just spread it because I don't like posting that much on Instagram. It's not that cool. And I believe in the word of mouth. So tell your friends, tell anyone who you think would appreciate hearing conversations about anything related to mental health. Also, if you have any questions for me or just topics that you think that I should cover, people that you think I should try to reach out to and get on the show, please reach out to me. I've had a few people uh, reach out to me now from all over the world, actually. One person was from Iran. One person was from Chile asking me questions. So I'm going to have an entire entire show where I'm going to be reading those questions and answering them aloud. So the more questions that come to me, the better that episode that's going to be. So, uh, help yourself, people. All right. Hope you're doing well, and thanks again for tuning in.